Sci-Fi Diner Classic. This is episode 16. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And Miles, we have an interview that kind of disturbed you at the time a little bit. Yeah, I thought uh, I, I may have upset him in some way. Yeah, so this is with David H. Lawrence. And if you don't know who he was, he was Eric Doyle in Hero, the mm-hmm. puppet master. And credit as being one of the godfathers, or the father, I guess I should say, of podcasting. Has done a lot of other acting, including the Cabinots he's been involved with, and Goodnight Burbank, and some other stuff that he's been involved with. But here's an interview that we did with him, a good 45-minute interview, talking about his role in Heroes, the show that no one talks about much anymore. But Tim Krang, of course, is involved with Touch, right? Right. And he was the creator of heroes and so we have another uh we're gonna talk about touch a little bit later on in listener feedback show but you know here is the puppet master from that show and he, he played a great bad guy on heroes and you know he was really a good conversation minus a few times that he kind of rattled rattled us so <laughs> but you know good interview and he was good natured about her and i still think he was joking i suspect he was just having a little fun at my expense yes so yes, yes. that's what i'll choose to believe anyways right yeah we'll, we'll believe it and uh, we'll just take it as it is and you can decide for yourself by listening to the sci-fi diner classic with david h lawrence Gordon, as God is my witness, I'm going to make you love me again. Leave them alone, I... Okay, Mom. Do it. I won't. Yes, you will. Well, thank you for coming on uh, the podcast with us. We're a podcast that just talks about everything sci-fi and... uh, um, and uh, I'm glad you finally got my email. Uh, yeah, really. How about Gmail, huh? Yeah, I know. Come on. You <laughs> when did you When did you send that email to me? I, I bet I sent it mm, uh, August, September. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like the Pony awesome. Express. But yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. I think what happened was uh, Sergey jumped on his uh, Palomino and rode across country and back a few times, you yes. know, and then finally dropped it off at my place here in Los Angeles. Hey, as long as it got there, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, we're just gonna, uh, you know, it's gonna be kind of informal. We we do want to talk about obviously heroes, but uh, and probably a little bit about Lost because you just were in the uh, recent Lost episode, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe the Cabinots. You know that good gay space pirate you played. Uh, I haven't played a space pirate. Oh, yet. you haven't? Are you supposed to? Uh, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're still waiting for the Cabinots to air. So. Yeah. So we'll see. I think he's. I think what he's doing is he's laying all of them in, and my my episodes haven't been shot yet. So there's really nothing. I can, nothing I can give you there. Okay. Okay. Well, then we won't quiz you on that. But uh, and then you know, and then we can take it anyway. I want to talk a little bit about podcasting because uh, rumor has it you're like the grandfather of podcasting. 
you know, I think Adam Curry uh, is a little bit um, dismissive of that. I think he would like that. Uh, you know, he would like that title. Um, <laughs> but obviously people, not just me, Brian Cooley at CNET and uh, others, uh, were sending out regular audio uh, newscasts, basically, in the, in the mid-'90s. <clears throat> I was doing a radio show on a syndicated network across the country called Online Today. And it was only on on Sundays. It was one of the very first technology uh, radio shows Leo Laporte had on computers with Gina Smith and Kim Commando was out. And there were a couple people doing some stuff locally. But I was in there at the very beginning. And one of the things that struck me was that during the week, I wanted to stay in touch with my audience because during the week was when everything was actually happening in technology. That's when Excited Home decided to become available. And America Online went Windows and Mac, you know, uh, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to stay in touch with them with the latest headline news. And so I created essentially a 10-minute and 47-second, and there's a reason for that, 10-minute and 47-second real audio file that I would email them every morning. And at one point I was sending out 40,000 emails wow. every day, which, you know, you just, uh, you know, you're, you're, sending, you're sending it once to your server and then the server is sending out the the actual data, and my, my, my hosting service at the time uh, was kind of, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, and that was Rackspace, so they were cool about it. But, um, so I think it was Rackspace. Maybe it was somebody else at the time. But uh, Geico uh, is based in Washington, D.C. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and I was on the air doing mornings in Washington, D.C., and I talked about it, and one of the marketing people from Geico heard about it. They jumped on my list. They heard what I was doing, and they said, hey, can we sponsor you? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take $300 a day. I was just shooting for the moon. I was, I was going to come back and go, uh, we can do $10 a day and you'll right. like it. But they said yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got a little business here. Uh, so the reason it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds was the only, the only I guess, not standard, but the only common uh, uh, compressed audio format. MP3 had not achieved the the kind of ubiquity that it has today. But the, um, the only real accepted, publicized, talked about technology was real audio. And this was in the days when they were called progressive networks. I don't, you remember, I don't know if you remember that was the case. They used to have progressive networks. And in fact, the, um, uh, the file extension was .pn for some of their dot uh, pna dot pnv etc okay, for some yeah, of their files yeah. if i remember correctly i'm sure somebody will look it up and go you're crazy <laughs> uh but but that was the case and the reason that it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds is that the real audio uh the dot ra file which is what ended up uh you know i would send out which you could play on your hard drive you could download it and then just double click it and the real audio player would come up and play it which was really the best experience because streaming was just horrifying. Streaming, I mean, they were oh, still yeah. getting out of the days of, of you know, uh, 56K baud modems. So streaming was just horrific. So I wanted to get the, the file onto the person's hard drive. And the reason it was 10 minutes and 47 seconds long was if it went beyond 10 minutes and 47 seconds long, it would be 774K instead of 773K. 773K... Uh, encoded for the internet in 8.7, made it 999K, which was 1K less than the one megabyte limit for attachments on email that AOL had, that Excited Home had, 
that uh, Prodigy, I think, had, CompuServe had. All the, I checked all of them, and they all were at least under a megabyte. So I had to make it that long. And it sounded, you know, okay. It was actually better than AM radio, but it was sent via email, not RSS. So right. I, the distinction would be that Adam Curry certainly spent an awful lot of time and effort uh, publicizing podcasting, you know, to the point where he was ready to declare radio dead which I guess hasn't happened yet. And <laughs> no. also, he's not doing his podcast anymore, as far as I know. Uh, at least not doing daily source code. So, um, so, yeah, and I did that for like five years. And then email became almost undeliverable with the advent of spam in the late 1990s. And so I stopped for a while. And then when RSS came out, when RSS with enclosures came out, I kicked right back up and doing it. And back then, I called it the personal netcast. Hmm. And I had jingles, and I had themes, and I had... It was awesome. It was great. <laughs> it was like a little mini radio show every morning, and it helped. And every time I would go send a new one, it would be... And by the way, don't forget to tune in this Sunday. It was always meant to drive listeners to my Sunday afternoon show. My, my show was on Sunday from 1 to 4 on the East Coast, 10 to 1 on the, on the West Coast. And then it went to Online Tonight, then the David Lawrence Show, and by that time... Uh, I was on nightly on CNET radio, on XM, on Sirius, on 150 stations across the country. Personal netcast I would do after every show. I would usually have the third hour guest on. And it always remained 10 hours and 47, or uh, 10 minutes and 47 seconds, just out of pure tradition. So there's the story of the history of, of podcasting. As far as I know, Brian Cooley and I have determined that we were kind of doing this contemporaneously. You know, he may have been before me, I may have been before him. We don't know. We don't care. We're, we're best buds. <laughs> we will we will say without fear of retribution that we were doing this long before anybody else was doing this and calling it podcasting. And I was really happy when Leo Laporte said, I don't want to call it a podcast anymore. I don't want to give Apple the, the nod with pod. Let's call it a netcast. And I'm like, yes, because I own the trademark to netcast. Go ahead, Leo. Go for it. I'd love to license it to you with all that money you're making on Twit. Oh, my so, God. Is he ever making money, too? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Wow, well, that is awesome. I was wondering. I was a little bit curious about the story when I had, uh, looked up in your uh, on your david.com site, and that had come up um, as one of the dots that was an extension of it. Well, but but are you doing radio? Are you, are you doing radio at all anymore? No. The only time I do radio is when somebody asks me to be on their show, and like this. And it's really interesting because in the last three or four years, the distinction between broadcast, traditional, lots of listeners radio has been blurred, the distinction between that and podcasting has been blurred, especially with shows like Leo's show that have hundreds of thousands of listeners, enough to compete in a major market as a, as a, as a show. You know, you can go to Z100 in New York and go up against them. They have like 123,000 every quarter hour, which is a lot. Um, and so if you take a look at some of Leo's shows like Twit and Twim and all that, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a show that can compete with that. So the, the line has been blurred, but for me... I found that towards the end of 2007, I moved out here to Los Angeles to become an actor. And to do that, I trained and I went to sessions and seminars and learned my craft and learned my marketing and learned the lay of the, the land and who my customers were. I mean, I really, I treat this like almost every successful actor does as a business. Mm. And so, you know, I had some prep work to do to learn my, to learn my marketplace and so on. So I was here for a couple of years. And I started to go out on auditions, and I started to do well. And always in the back of my head was, you know, if I get this, if I get this, you know, guest star on ER, I have no, I have no guarantee that they'll film me out by six or six thirty, so I can get back to my studio and do my show for XM and Sirius, because they hated when I would do best ofs. 
they absolutely hated it when I would do like a previous previously on the uh, the David Lawrence show. They hated that. Right. Right. So around, uh, I would say, late 2007, probably September or so, I had I had succumbed to the pressure of other actors asking me to help them with their voice demos. Uh, voiceover demos here can command anywhere between fifteen hundred and eight thousand dollars. Wow! And I just didn't want to be a part of that whole mess of you know actors who are hard pressed for money, um, you know, uh, separating that many dollars from them. So and and I so I just said no, I can't do it until I figured out how to do it quickly and expertly and for far less money. I charge five hundred bucks for my demos, and you're done in an hour and a half or two hours. And so that five hundred dollars becomes a reasonable amount of money for me to make for that two hours of time because that's about what I make as an actor. If you ask an actor what they make, they'll tell you, oh, SAG scale, blah, blah, blah. If you break it out, you make about $250 an hour as a working actor, which is pretty good, but the work is few and far between, so it's right. not as glamorous as it sounds. All right, so I do this, and I'm, I'm starting to build that business, and I think to myself, you know what? Radio, broadcast radio, is in a death race with newspapers to see who's going to kill themselves first. <laughs> I mean, you see the Wall Street Journal narrowing their pages, the New York Times narrowing their pages. The the old Sunday newspapers used to be an inch or two thick. I know because I was a Cleveland Press, uh, uh, you know, paperboy, and then I was a Plain Dealer paperboy, and I used to loathe Sunday mornings because what would normally be a couple of stacks of newspapers for my route became like a newsstand tall you know, set of 90 stacks that I had to, like, lug around Cleveland, Ohio, delivering to my route. I used to hate it. Now, now, Sunday papers are narrower. They're thinner. You don't even get through your bagel and coffee if you spread it out in bed. You're done very quickly with newspapers because newspapers just aren't relevant anymore. They've been eaten alive by online news sources, Google, you know, Yahoo, the way people get their information these days. Radio suffered the very same sort of cannibalism at the hands of iTunes and online radio shows and so on, and not to the point where the money moved over, because the money didn't move over. You guys aren't making money with your podcast, I guarantee you. I can guarantee you that, too. <laughs> I, know, I know of maybe five podcasts that I can count on one hand, and the, and the term podcast is used loosely only because they're actually on the net only but they're not actually doing what would be considered a traditional show, right? People that are YouTube stars or are, are Facebook stars or um, Twitter stars, you know, they're making money because of notoriety, not because of the method of delivery or the, the format of their, of, their, of their production. So radio was just imploding. I mean, it was just imploding. I knew that when I went to a program director in Boise, Idaho, Here's what my argument would boil down to when I would ask him to take my nationally syndicated show. Look, Joe Programmer, you're too stupid to come up with something local that would be better than what I could give you from my seat here in Los Angeles or then in Washington, D.C. So take my show instead. And that always leaves a bad taste in the program director's mouth. I'm not actually saying those words, but that's what it comes up with. That's what you come up with. Uh, you know, there are some exceptions. The big national, like Rush Limbaugh and... Uh, Howard Stern and, and you know, uh, the sports, uh, sports guys, Jim Rome and so on, you know, they have, they have a celebrity attached to them. I didn't have a celebrity attached to me. I was just saying, hey, instead of running the news on Saturday night, run my show. It's about technology and pop culture, right? 
Right. So with that proposition, program directors were left going, mm, fine, right? In general, radio is dying. It's decaying. It's not relevant to our children. It's not relevant to us. I listen to the news channel when I'm not on the phone in the car. Mm. So my listening, and I grew up loving radio, living radio is my life for 35 years. It's not relevant to me anymore. So in that, in that thinking about that and building the demo thing uh, up and just doing my voice work and doing that sort of thing, I made the decision to retire from radio, to sell my shows because I owned my shows, to retire from radio and then pursue on-camera acting and voice work full-time. And it wasn't six months later that I got the booking on Heroes, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Wow. wow. So, so what, Am I talking too much? No, absolutely. I love hearing it. You, you talk as much <laughs> as you want. So. How long are we going to be here? Are we going to be here for another five minutes or so? Right, right. What are we doing? <laughs> Let's talk about Heroes, because you just mentioned okay. it. And let, so Heroes really was the first breakout role for you, if you want to say that, right? It, was my, it wasn't just a breakout role. It was my very first booking. Wow. It was my very first on-camera, network television, or studio film, because those are really the only ones that count. You know, uh, you can do all the indie films and student films you want, never get paid for them on the odd occasion that you do. It's something like Napoleon Dynamite, which happens once every 10 years. Right. Um, it's not a webisode series, although I've done webisode series for NBC where I got paid very, very well. Um, it, is, it is, oh, it's all that counts is, um, sorry, um, it's all that counts is network television. Hmm. And it was my very first booking. Right. Uh, if I had not had training for the year prior with Patrick Tucker, who wrote the book Secrets of Screen Acting, I doubt I would have, A, gotten that role, and B, done so well with the first day of a three-day shoot that they ended up rewriting my ending so that instead of killing me with the gun on the table, as Claire was supposed to do, she just hit me over the head with a chair leg and back into prison I go and they use me for another day. Yeah. Wow. But the real story, there's a real story behind that. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely. Sure. All right. So the real story behind that is two years earlier, two years earlier? Yeah, two years earlier, I was booked for my very first booking. This is while I was doing my radio show. This is while I was, you know, uh, uh, doing all the other things that I ended up not doing to concentrate on, 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 on camera. There was a show on CBS called Clubhouse. Okay. And Clubhouse was on Saturday night. It starred Dean Cain and Christopher Lloyd. It was about, essentially, the New York Yankees and the Bat Boy for the New York Yankees. I think they were called the Empires or the Knickerbockers. or They were called something other than the Yankees because CBS couldn't work out a deal with the Yankees. Anyway, Dean Cain was the star player. Uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd was a coach. And the mother of the, uh, the Bat Boy, who was the sort of the star around which the, the stories revolved, uh, owned a house in Queens or Yonkers or someplace. And the role that I booked was called Mold Guy, M-O-L-D, Mold Guy. Okay. And I was supposed to be this inspector that came to her house and started to poke around her walls, and I pushed my thumb in, and the wall, the drywall crumbled because it was so coated with mold on the backside. You know, it was like a, an, an episode of Holmes on Holmes, you know? Right. So, um, and I had, some, I had some nice scenes. It could possibly recur because, you know, if I, my, I remember my one line was, look, lady, you can, either, you can either get this fixed or you can put your hands over your heads and watch that and, and make sure the house doesn't hit you when it crumbles. 
So it could have been one of those uh, situations where I would come back and fix other parts of the house and I would be kind of like, you know, some goofy guy that she would talk to from time to time. Who knew? So I booked the part. I go in for the audition. I booked the part. And the casting director, Felicia Fasano, she calls up. She goes, it shoots tomorrow. And I said, oh, that's an issue. She goes, what do you mean that's an issue? Said, no, you don't ever, that's like the wrong thing to say to a casting director. Right. The right thing to say to a casting director is, what time do I have to be there? Yeah. I'm there. Right? But to say, oh, that's an issue. Yeah. Because I had committed to shooting a lead role in a film for a student filmmaker at uh, um, what's the name of the, the university down south of here. It'll come to me probably three days from now. Anyway, and I called him and I said, hey, I just booked this CBS primetime show. Is there any way we can move the shoot tomorrow? And he's like, no, dude. I was playing a, a ringmaster for a circus. And it was an outdoor shoot. <clears throat> and he had arranged for a carnival that was in town just for that weekend to use the 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 the, the midway area for a uh, you know for for a shooting space from six a.m. to eleven when they opened up for the public on that Friday, and there was no way they were going to leave town on Sunday. They couldn't use it on Saturday or Sunday. He said, "Dude, if you bail on me, I'm going to have to like cancel the shoot and possibly cancel my movie." Wow. So I had already said yes to him. Now, what do you do? And I ask my classes, because I teach voiceover classes here in, in Los Angeles, and I talk about you know, the power of yes and the power of no and the power of you know, honoring your commitments and so on. I said, what would you do? On one hand, you have this amazing opportunity, your first booking on network television. It actually was a hit show. Um, or the student film that probably you know, will be harder to shoot. You'll have to like, you know do your own makeup and do your own costuming and there's not going to be people there to walk you to set and bring you coffee and all the, all the cool stuff that you get when you shoot on network television. Um, what do you do? And usually more than half the class says, you go with the network show. So I didn't. And boy, did I make Felicia Fasano mad. Oh, she was pissed. She didn't say, like, you'll never work in this town again, but she was clearly like, you're out of your mind. Right. And, and I went and I shot the show. And I was like, you know, it was like uh, me in a spangly outfit with eyeliner, and, you know, I had a Russian accent, and I said, oh, you, you should talk to Kitty. Kitty loves, she loves cops. You know, I mean, it's, it, in fact, it's on my demo reel. That scene is on my demo reel. And that scene of me as a ringmaster in a film for a student two years prior to my audition for Heroes caught the eye of... Uh, Natalie Hart, who was one half of La Padura Hart, the casting people for Heroes. Wow. And they said, you know what? If he's willing to get all duded up like this, maybe he's willing to play Eric Doyle. And so they brought me in based on that. So, moral of the story is, honor your commitments, kids. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know. You never know what can come of it. Well, you know, it's interesting because you started out in a circus and you end up in a carnival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that came full. And I'm actually—I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm actually about to shoot uh, with Olga K, who is a, a definitely a YouTube star. She's a Russian gymnast and and juggler and circus performer. I'm about to be her ringmaster in Olga K's circus, which uh, Andrea Ball is directing, and just uh, went out with her last night to talk about the part and about making money in in uh, in YouTube work and webisodes and all that. 
so yeah, I'll be right. You know, and I have that kind of like, you know, Jim Broadbent angle to me. So it's okay. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's I'm happy. It's work. Yeah. Now, um, Miles, did you have something? you want to chime in here a little bit? Yeah. Um, now we're a little on talking about Heroes a little more. What did you like about playing Eric Doyle? What did I like about it? Yeah. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely everything. There wasn't a single thing I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to talk in the past tense because, as you know, he's still alive. I know. And you never know if there's going to be a fifth season, volume six. All I know is that at the end of the uh, end of the episode, uh, Siler says, "You know, I could have killed Eric Doyle, but I didn't." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that, hearing those words. <laughs> that's good that's, for that's you. Promis- sounds promising. <laughs> yeah, we well, you know when we at the end of I guess it was what the uh, fourth season. You know when we saw you kind of strung up there on the uh, on the uh, the draperies. I thought that was it for you. I didn't. We, we didn't well, see you for a okay, half year. No, that's not true. Now stop. Be a okay. better viewer, for God's sake. <laughs> do you not rem- do you not remember the hunter bringing Noah over to my table and saying, "Hey, it's Doyle. Where'd you get him?" It was a delivery from a friend, uh, and all I had in my nose was the the tube of sleep. Uh, and then later in the episode, when Tracy comes around, she breaks out of that room where she's like being held captive under the heat. And she and and uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, Grunny and and uh, and and Bria, they all leave. I'm one of the people that she wakes up and says, "Let's get let's get out of Dodge." And I say, "No, no, I'll, I'm going to stay. I've got some things to take care of." Nobody remembers that. It's like it's like a it's like a blank in their head. I was not dead when I was strung up. I was very uncomfortable. I'll bet you were. Actually, you know what? You want to be the honest truth. I was far more uncomfortable shooting, and too bad if you haven't watched the last episode. Here's a spoiler from a week and a half ago. Um, I was far more uncomfortable uh, strung up on the, um, uh, on the lights and the X-brace that they had me on for the final episode of this season than I was hanging from the uh, ceiling in uh, the episode last year. The episode last year, I was in a brace, in a harness that was under my clothes that supported everything. It was awesome. All I had to do was go to the bathroom before I was pulled up there for five hours of shooting. This time around, though, I had to lean forward and not rest on the lights because the lights wouldn't support my weight. So it was very uncomfortable, even though the shoot was only about a half an hour, 45 minutes. My my center of gravity is somewhere up towards the moon, so <laughs> it's just it was really uncomfortable for me to have my hands over my head that long, leaning forward, pushing uh, to balance my weight, and not have the apple boxes that were painted green screen uh, under my feet not slip out from under me. There was a lot of balancing going on there with muscles that, frankly, I haven't used since I was four, <laughs> and I don't want to ever have to use again. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so, but there wasn't anything about, you know, doing the last couple of seasons of Heroes that I, I didn't like. I loved every second of it and wished that I could, uh, I wish that I could do it every day as a living and be a series regular on the show. I would be simply awesome. So how far in advance do you know that you're going to be on an episode? I mean, how, how much warning do they give you? Um, anywhere from a couple of days to a few weeks to a month and a half. I mean, uh, they knew that I was going to be in a couple of episodes well in advance, and when they started to write the stuff with the cello, uh, they had me actually take cello lessons. And they did that, like, 
Uh, we shot that mid-December, and I started, and I took the cello lessons in October. So, you know, the the good news there is they pay me for for taking the cello lessons. That's so, awesome. That was nice. I love the cello. Mm-hmm. The cello's great. And then there's sometimes when they're like, hey, uh, we need you to come in and, and uh, shoot a scene on Thursday, and it's Tuesday. So, and, and it's fine. You know what? If they called me now and said, hey, we need to do a pickup for a webisode series, and we need you this afternoon. It's now 326. Can you get here by 4 o'clock? I'd be turning to you guys and go, hey, I'd love to continue with this, but i got to go. Right. <laughs> right. Now, you, you've done some other stuff with Heroes other than just the show. You were on the, the webisodes that they had of Nowhere, Nowhere Man, right? Right, and that was me, Nowhere Man. I was, yeah. the, I was the lead in those, in those four the, episodes. I loved those episodes. Yeah, it was kind of nice. It was, you know, you you had an opportunity for Eric Doyle to be a vigilante and to feel what that's like. And, you know, that last glance at the end, that's an awesome, you know, that's (laughs) like something to put on the reel. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be rebuilding my reel and I will be putting that on there. And, um, you know, and it was great. And I was treated, the, the, the production values for their web series are as high as they are on the show. I mean, they shot on red which is arguably the, the best quality uh, 4K camera uh, on the market. Um, you know, they, they treated me with the same kid gloves that they treated me when we were shooting the actual episodes for the air. The crew wasn't as large. The budget wasn't as large, but I would never have known it. And the whole time I was tweeting and they were loving it. And they just really were supportive and so nice about everything. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really great. And it told the story of what happened between, again, that, you know, now I've got some things to take care of here sitting on the gurney in, the, in uh, Building 34, uh, and where I come out um, smelling like a rose with a girlfriend and a boss on the run. <laughs> yeah, we know, I just like seeing Eric Doyle in, like, a normal office setting. It was just, you know, just, and then to have him deal with the whole superpower thing, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just awesome. And now you also did some uh, eye stories that they did for Sprint. Uh, tell me about what was your role in that? When I watched them, they were they were animated, right? Yeah, what they did was they had me come in and do some vocal work, but they were basically doing a choose-your-own-adventure thing with um, uh, flash drawings and flash animation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we did the web series last year. We did the eye story this year. Uh, in, in every case, NBC.com and... The folks at Heroes and NBC Universal have just been so nice uh, all the way around and keeping me involved in the story. It's really odd that this character, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really feel fortunate that this character has been written in a way that people really enjoy him. You know, they enjoy his creepiness, they enjoy his cuddliness, they enjoy his smart-ass remarks, they root for him, they root against him. He's an interesting character. And it's like one of those things where uh, I've just been lucky that the run has gone this long, and it wasn't just that one episode uh, back in uh, back in 2008. Your character seems on a similar journey. All, well, more of a journey than Siler's. I mean, Siler. I mean, he, he seems to do 180 once turned good. But your your journey, your character's journey, you know, seems to want to redeem himself, and then events happen and. You know, Eric Doyle does what he used to be doing, and then he, he seems resolved, resolved with living with people at the, the carnival and just being who he is. But it just seems to make your character more interesting that your, your, your character seems to be, go, you know, 
Yeah, it's, it's as if Eric Doyle, you know, look, Eric Doyle tries to avoid using his powers the way he tries to avoid donuts. <laughs> you know, it's just they're too much fun to eat. It's too much fun to be a puppet master, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, think about what would happen. I mean, if you, if, you look, if you look in the wiki, the hero's wiki about my character, they mm. link me up as a rapist. Ooh. Well, of course I'm a rapist. I'm forcing women to do whatever I want them to do. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's easier for Eric to be that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just the way, the way his power lends itself. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the assignment tracker. Do you know what that is? Nothing. Oh, yes. You know what? I have. Yes. So the assignment tracker is this background information on all the characters on Heroes written by the writers of the show and up at the, I think it's the, uh, um, uh, the paper site, the paper company site. And there's, if you Google assignment tracker Heroes characters, you'll get the usernames and passwords that you need to get into it. It's kind of like this thing that people discover. And it turns out that my character's powers first manifested themselves when he got pissed off at his uncle for taking him to the beach. And it was hot, and he was sunburned, and he just wanted to play with his puppets, and he got so mad that he made his uncle swim out into the ocean and keep swimming so far that he couldn't swim back. Mm. That's creepy. That is creepy. That's creepy. So, you know, he learned at an early age the power that he had was creepy, and he didn't even the kind of power that you could use for good. I mean, I guess you could, you know, puppet somebody who was stealing someone's purse to give it back. Right. But, you know, if you're going to puppet a woman to be your friend for a couple of hours, where are those two? Yeah. 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 Now, did you have to learn how to uh, use puppets, or did you know that already as a skill going in? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm just going to stop you and go, uh, here's, here's a tip. I don't know how to use puppets at all. Ooh. I just know how to hold my hand so that it looks like I know how to use ah. puppets. Yeah. The other answer to that question is uh, they send every uh, actor who has a character on the show, they send them to, um, uh, they send them to um, an island in the Caribbean where you actually have the power uh, installed in your cerebellum and you actually know how to use that power and you actually have that power. So the fact of the matter is that right now I am controlling you doing this podcast while we're doing it. I'm telling you how to move and what to do. You don't even realize it. <laughs> I like that answer better. All right, there you go. <laughs> that works. Now you, you like that answer. Huh? Now, now you, yeah, awesome. now, you were, now you were lost as well recently. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. You were a cab driver. Yeah, how about that? That's about the story. Yeah. And it, was, it. it was a pretty quick roll. Yeah, yeah. I was in and out. Uh, shot two times in Hawaii. Went back, uh, went there once on Labor Day last year and then back a couple weeks later. And then we had to do some pickup scenes. Went over to ABC Studios at the beginning of December and did some pickup scenes for that. It was very fast, very quick. Wonderful to work with those people. Really, really nice. Uh, lovely to be a trivia answer, along with Greg Grunberg and uh, Jaco Ivanek as the only actors who have been on both shows. Um, <clears throat> and that booking came from a casting workshop with the casting director from the show, who, in one of the questions at the beginning of her session, said, uh, she was asked, are there any shows that you 
you know, blacklist the uh, actors from? Because, you know, there's, there's, it's well known that if you, if you do uh, one procedural in town or if you do a medical show in town, you probably won't be doing the other competing procedurals or medical shows for a while. Right. And she said, hmm, uh, heroes. So <laughs> I made a big, a big show about gathering up my materials and leaving the room. And, you know, I was joking around. And she goes, oh, are you on that show? I'm so sorry. And then she called me in the next day, and I booked it. Nice. So, but it was a, obviously it was a much less. Uh, it was a role that was much less invasive into the story than Eric Doyle is, but it was great to play. I mean, I did all my own stunt driving. I mean, they, they, you know, I I did all the driving in the car. Nobody did the driving in the car. I did it. I ran over, you know, uh, our uh, uh, luggage, and I, you know, came to a screeching halt right in front of the crew. Um, you know, uh, like they trusted me to drive this 3000 pound vehicle. What was wrong with these people? Know. You know, and there's like, and, and, you know, forget the crew and the amount of carnage that would have happened if I didn't do it properly. There was a Panavision camera with prime lenses directly in front of my hood. I could have destroyed a $30,000, $50,000 piece of equipment and they didn't care. They were like, they trusted me. They were weird. So anyway. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, uh, Miles, do you have any other questions for uh, David before we, uh, before we go here? Yeah, Dave, I was looking at um, your, your resume on IMDb. And since you did wanted, you just call uh, me Dave? Uh, if I did, I apologize. Uh, uh, David, um, I was looking at your uh, resume. Uh, you didn't just call I, me Dave, did you? If I, I don't remember. If I did, I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I was looking at you. <laughs> you, have, you, you have him on oh, edge. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did the actor just get angry? Oh, uh, no. no. We can't have that. Oh. We can't have that. Edit it out. Edit it out. Go ahead. I feel, I feel my throat uh, collapsing. No, just kidding. Um, I was looking at your uh, detailed resume. It said you, you won an uh, Emmy back in 79 for uh, um, a comedy ensemble. I was trying to get more information about that. Um, what, what were you involved with back, back in 79 that you got that Emmy? Uh, there was uh, a, a show called the Cleveland Comedy Company. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Saturday Night Live had been on the air for maybe three years. Second City TV was on the air. Uh, a show called Friday Night Funnies or Friday Night Haha or whatever was on the air. It was the beginnings of the first wave of stand-up comedy and going out on a circuit and stuff like that. And a guy that I had worked with for a while in radio created a show that was a local version that made fun of local celebrities, the mayor, uh, the guy that ran uh, J.B. Robinson Jewelers, you know, the most common advertiser in town. Here in Los Angeles, it would be like making fun of Cal Worthington and Cal Worthington Ford. Um, but we did the show, ran a half an hour. It was original comedy. Uh, they killed. It killed. And we won an Emmy with it. Hmm. So, you know, I was one of the actors, one of the writers, one of the producers, and, you know, so... It was one of my very first tastes of uh, being an award-winning anything. Yeah, wow. That's cool. Very cool. Hey, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Eric. Uh, Eric, Eric. I just called you Eric. Eric. David? David? Eric. David? Wait, my name is David. It's not <laughs> Dave. It's not Eric. It's not Jason. It's not, by the way, here's a bit of trivia for you. Go ahead. The cab Jason. driver's name was Paul. Ooh. There Paul. you go. There you go. Huh? There, there you go. go. We'll have to give that out. No, as don't, a, don't, ever, don't ever say I never did nothing for you. Oh. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, David, for coming on our show. Hey, can I just could get a quick plug in there for, uh, for Abs- my new uh, iPhone app? Hey, absolutely. Please do. Tell us about it. So uh, for those of you that are actors that are listening, 
uh, or people that need to learn your lines if you're business speakers or you're doing presentations at a show or whatever. Um, I have a new app called Rehearsal. And by the time you hear this, it's probably going to be out in the App Store, if not shortly thereafter. And basically, you, you bring your script into rehearsal, and then you do the same thing that you do in the real world with it. You highlight it. You have, add notes in the margins. You uh, rehearse with it. Um, and you learn your lines, and it's all, you can carry it all around with you on your iPhone. It's awesome. And when the iPad comes out, it's going to be completely compatible with that as well. So we're really excited about it. It's called Rehearsal. Uh, R-E-H-E-A-R-S-A-L, Rehearsal. And, uh, you know, we'd love to love to see you go check it out if you're an actor. Cool. And you can find that, of course, in the iTunes Store soon. iTunes or the App Store on your iPhone. You can oh, just right. download it right from the App Store. There you go. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you again for being on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.